Welcome to the Driving Change Podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network, where we live at the intersection of neuroscience and storytelling. If you love great stories and you love understanding the mindset it takes to be a world-class change agent, then join us as our fascinating guests from all walks of life unpack their unique journeys of perseverance and passion, of expertise and experience, and be inspired to use your own story to drive change. Welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. And today's guest, we got a twofer. We got a twofer, two-for-one special. And I'm really excited for y'all to hear both Drew and Leah Lachey's story. But rarely do I, do I list off a lot of the, the guest accomplishments in the front of the show because I know you don't really care as an audience. But in this case, I think you might care. And it's going to lead to where we're going. So for those of you who know the name, the Lachey name, you probably know Drew and, and his brother Nick were part of 98 Degrees. That's what he's best known for in his old days. He's a little older now. And now in his, in his younger days, you're going to, or his, his latest days, you're going to hear some really fun stuff they're working on. But they sold over 10 million records back at 98 Degrees. And I, I almost shudder to start to kind of bop right into the hottest thing I ever. Sorry. Anyways, I, get, I, got a little, I got a little sidetracked. So he's also appeared in ABC's Dancing with the Stars. In fact, he doesn't know that I'm, I might be a better dancer than him. He won season two. I'm not a better dancer than either of you for sure. He's a Broadway veteran. Um, he started in Mark Cohen's Jonathan uh, Larson's Pulitzer Prize winning musical Rent. He starred King Arthur's right-hand man, Patsy, in Mike Nichols' Tony Award winning production of Monty Python's, say it with me, all of you Spamalot fans out there. That's probably been a day. I'd like to hear some stories from that one. On, other onstage work is included Corny Collins in Hairspray, Charlie in Kinky Boots, Zach in Cincinnati Playhouse's Parks, Cincinnati Playhouse in the Parks chorus line, in addition to other roles in television and film. Now, as if that wasn't enough, he hosted ABC's Dance War, Bruno versus Carrie Ann. How many of you remember that? HDTV's $250,000 challenge, America Sings, The Price is Right Live, Let's Make a Deal Live, Miss USA Pageant Live. I just put that part in. Drew has written the book for multiple musicals and currently lives in Cincinnati where he, along with his wonderful wife, Leah, created and run Lachey Arts, which you're going to hear about in a little bit. Uh, in a little bit. So enough about Drew. He, he gets boring. Now his wife, on the other hand. It's boring. <laughs> see, I, I know as a married guy, I know we got to focus, you know, we got to focus on where the, really the, the operational brains are to this, to this marriage, this relationship. Leah was also born and raised in Cincinnati. What's fun is that we have him here in studio. So, you know, we don't always get the guests in studio. So we've, we've already been having fun in the pre-show. Leah from Cincinnati has been working as a professional choreographer and creative director for over 20 years. She was awarded a full dance scholarship to Marymount Manhattan College in New York City. And she went on to work in the world-renowned Radio City Music Hall Rockettes as a dancer and assistant choreographer. So... Watch out. She's still got a, a kick that will knock you into the wall, I'm sure. Leah's choreography credits include 98 Degrees. I'm not sure about that, how she got that gig. Um, today's show, Good Morning America, MTV, VH1, Miss Teen USA, NFL Pro Bowl, and NBA All-Star Game. Her live stage credits include Nickelodeon, All That Tour. Did you get slimed at all? We'll talk about that later. 98 degrees. She was on Heated Up Tour, 98 Degrees Revelation Tour, New Kids on the Block. Come on. 98 Degrees uh, Boys to Men Package Tour, Creative Director for Jessica Simpson's Reality Tour, My 2K Tour, This Christmas Tour, Let It Snow Tour, The Boy Band Christmas Tour. And over the last several years, Leah has had the honor of working as a choreographer and dance consultant on films like Carol. You might have heard that with Kate Blanchett and Kyle Chandler's Miles Ahead, starring Golden Globe winning actor Don. Cheadle and Emiatsi Corinaldi and a Christmas melody directed by and starring Grammy winner, say it with me, come on, Mariah Carey and Lacey Schaubert. Now, her theatrical choreography credits include production of Matilda, Hairspray, White Christmas, an Evening of Broadway, Big Band, and Motown 67. I don't know how y'all have any time to do anything based on this. Because I don't normally list off the credits and the accomplishments of the guest, I was so just taken aback by, you know, we, sometimes we know our artists and our, the people that we've, we've admired in the course of our lives, whether it be young or old, but we really don't know the work that goes into all the things I just listed that you guys have spent your life doing. And 
I'll just begin by saying um, I'm excited to unpack your current part of your journey in a few minutes, but I think it's always important to look back in the story to see. So welcome, both of you, Drew, Leah, to the Driving Change podcast. Thank, Thank you. you. It's good Thanks to be here. Do you, need, do you need to like take a nap or something after that? I mean, that was, that was quite the intro. I mean, you must be spent. I'm a little spent. I'm a little, I'm a little exhausted. I also went down a bit of a memory lane there. I'm trying to think about, you know, I don't want to, you know, some of us don't like to admit that we're boy band fans, you know, some, for some of us, but we were, come on. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you felt confident enough and secure enough in your, in your manhood that you could, that you could throw that in there. I was, I, that was impressive. I also like the uh, choreography for hardest thing. I, I, I I liked the moves, so it's pr- pretty solid there. Did you did you chore- choreograph that one? Did you, yes. did you, did you do choreo- Okay, I can. I, I can did. Get the, I did. I can get I the like turn it. in a little. That shoulder is nice. Yeah, you gotta get okay. All right. Anyways, so as you all know, uh, what I uh, warned you about was this is just obviously an impromptu conversation, but the the first question is always baked in. We the audience before they really care about where you're going, they want to care, they want to care about you as a person where you guys have come from. You're both, we read off on the, instru- on the, um, the list, you're both from Cincinnati, both Cincinnati natives. Give us a little backstory, and either of you can begin. Take us back to the beginning of your roots, and then I know that you guys had a little bit of a crossover of origin stories. So maybe take us up to, to where you met and then what that looked like. And the big thing I want you to uncover in your story is where you started to get some of those values and beliefs at what age and who influenced them. Because I think that's going to have a lot of impact on where you guys are today and what will be meaningful to the audience. So whoever wants to begin, let's, let's unpack it. Go back to kindergarten if you want. We don't care. To go back as far as you like. I'll start. I am a, um, a proud West Sider. Um, auditioned for performing arts. So I'll start around the, that was age nine. Um, that was a huge leap for my family. Um, I come from a very supportive family. Um, so going downtown and not staying at this small private Catholic school, that was a big adjustment, right? Big adjustment for my family. Um, but without the school for creative and performing arts, Drew and I are both graduates of the school. Um, there is no way that I would have been able to do the things that I did in my career. I mean, to, and to be quite honest, could, my family couldn't afford that, could not afford those classes. Um, we did what three or four musicals every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so the training and to kind of talk about just like um, the push that we got from, from our teachers from a very young age, all the way through high school. Um, I do owe part of my career to that and my work ethic and my drive um, and being able to see, you know, that, that I couldn't do it, that I, that I could get that full dance scholarship. Um, I think that when kids have that support, you know, that's, that's life-changing. Um, so I started when I was nine at the school, Drew was a little later, um, 10. Um, and we ended up in multiple classes together. Um, I'd say that we were always friends. We did date when we were 11. She broke up with me very after two weeks. She dumped me in the sixth grade. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why. I was I was moving on. Yeah. Yeah. And then she dumped me after two hours in the seventh grade. Um, you know, so yeah, our our stories are our past crossed, you know, very young. Um, you know, we both come from, you know, middle class families. Um, you know, we so we've always had to both of us kind of fight and scrap for, you know, whatever we had. There wasn't like, all right, this is your path and it's just laid out for you and whatever you want to do. Um, it was more of a, all right, if that's what you want to do, then do the work. Yeah. I mean, it was like, all right, here's the tools. Now go, go figure it out. Um, you know, we both left home, um, you know, right after we graduated high school. I mean, she went right up to New York and, and started uh, college for two months. Um, and then, you know, a better opportunity came. I literally right after high school went into the army. So it was, you know, our, our life started instantly. Um, you know, as adults, there wasn't like this, Oh, well, we're just going to kind of stay at home or we're going to have this kind of, um, you know, pre-planned idea of how our life was going to progress. It was all right, we're off. We're just going to go do these things. Um, but I think the fact that, you know, we did date, you know, from our junior year on, we kind of became each other's um, support system, sounding board, number one fans, 
at 16 years old. Um, and so as we continue to grow up and mature and become adults, um, we had this built-in support system that was just kind of the two of us. Yes, we had supportive families that were always going to be nurturing and, you know, encouraging us. Um, but, you know, to have, you know, the person that you um, were with the majority of the time kind of sharing that that drive and that same kind of perspective on on life and how you achieve your goals, that was um, that was something that I think at the time we didn't have any <laughs> any idea of what it was. Yeah. But now as as we're getting more seasoned in life uh, and wiser, I mean, we were able to look back on with a little bit more perspective and, um, you know, a little bit more of a, a clearer idea of, you know, how much of an impact that had on us. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how far you want to go with this origin story. I mean, we can <laughs> we can get like no, we'll keep going. Well, let's build let's build upon it, right? So so I love the idea that okay. So, so you guys both come from blue collar families who probably had followed a fairly traditional path. For many of them, I, I grew up on a farm. I came from a really blue collar environment as well, and and so you guys were almost like taking a little bit of a divergent path. I'm guessing from what most of the folks in your family had done. Uh, where did the creative or the musical or the dancing gene come from? Was that something that was in either of or both of your families? Or were you kind of the first ones to go, ah, this, I like this kind of performance-oriented. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm sure our families they're will definitely claim, they'll claim that they're like uber-talented <laughs> and super musical and artistic. But um. I, I would like to think, though, I, I have a lot of artists on my dad's side. My dad was a painter. He's no longer with us. But, um, and my mom did she would freak out with me saying this but she did some community theater and and sang in in high school and so i did have a mother and a father that were extremely supportive um it's kind of funny when you're raising your own kids right stuff pops up into your head and you're like i completely forgot about this every sunday my dad and my mom would make this huge breakfast and my dad would play classical music from you know 9 to 11 a.m. And I just, rem I, those kind of things in your life, I think kind of shape who you are. Um, and then I think going to the school and, and, you know, being around all these different artists, having that supportive family, I think, I think all helps. Um, I know Drew's mom. Yeah. I mean, my, yeah, it was, you know, yeah, high school plays and stuff like that. But then my family was, um, they were very, um, they were very well versed in the church. Mm -hmm. um, so there's lots of church choirs, a lot of church groups. Um, you know, so there was there was a lot of that happening in in my childhood. You know, it was like, all right, well, not only are we gonna be at church on Sunday morning, but we're gonna be at church on Friday night too, because that's when you they rehearse for their singing group. And so I would literally sit in the you know fellowship hall of the church and literally, you know bang my head against the wall because I would rather be outside playing or whatever. And eventually I did break out and go outside and play. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it was a lot of a lot of that, um, you know, and then, you know, my uncle played the piano and things like that. And so it was, you know, music was always yeah. a big part of our lives. Mm -hmm. um, but nobody had made it. Nobody had made a career out of either theater no. or music no. or dancing <laughs> or anything like that. Right. That, so for them, they probably no. thought, well, this no. is great, guys. Yeah, but it's a hobby. Like this isn't something right. that you go make a living doing. So yes. you know, there might have been a little bit of that. No? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think I think at, at first, once they, everybody thinks that their kid has the potential to to be a star. I feel like you know until they either do or don't have mm -hmm. the potential. Um, you know, I I think you know for us it was very much um, you know because we went to the the performing arts school and we were exposed to it so much. I mean, yeah. Every day we were training. Um, so when we came out of that school, we were a lot more prepared than than other kids yes. our age or 17, 18 year olds. So for us, it was. I don't think it was so far fetched that, you know, we would pursue it. Um, I think actually my my mom was a little disappointed that I didn't you oh, know, yeah. pursue it out of high school. Um, well, and know. that's an interesting story, too, because when Drew graduated, he went into the Army Reserves. So he was not taking that artistic path. I mean, and I yeah. think just because it, it, right. It made you happy. He wanted to focus on medic training. Um, so I saw, I saw the, for anybody that's a Sylvester Stallone fan, there was this classic movie called cliffhanger that came out. We were obsessed. And, with it. and it was, came out like our junior, senior year of high school. And I decided after seeing that movie, 
that I was going to become Sylvester Stallone yeah. and and do search and rescue and like hang off the side of a mountain and like rescue people that were trapped and all this fun stuff. Not and bad. I figured what better way to do it than by joining the army, becoming a medic, yada, yada, yada. So, um, yeah, so my my path took a, a very severe turn away from theater and acting and singing and the arts and went straight towards blood and guts and broken bones and, you know. But then took a very sharp turn back into it. I mean, that happened pretty quickly. Yeah. It was about, what, a year and a half, two years at yeah. tops before the call came in for the, hey, we have an opening in this group. Nick and Justin, Jeff were out in L.A. Yeah, so Leah was, still, Leah was still in New York. She was already, she had already gotten cast and hired by Radio City. She was at 18 years old. Um, you know, Radio City swooped in and, and snatched her up and, and she left college and, and started doing that. Um, and I was driving an ambulance, uh, in New York city. Um, so we were both in the city, but doing very different jobs. Um, and you know, I got a, I got a beep on my beeper because that just kind of shows you where in the timeline of the world that this was. Um, and, and yeah, um, and so I, I reached down and checked it and it was, it was my brother in LA and, um, you know, I pulled the ambulance over, I got out, called him from a payphone. And, you know, from that moment, he asked if I, if I wanted to, to be a part of this group. Um, and then after a lot of call, talk and consideration, I talked over my dad and he, my dad was a very pragmatic kind of sensible, mm -hmm. sensible man. He's like, well, would you ever be able to go back to driving ambulance? Is that an, an experience that's going to, is there an expiration date on that? Or is that going to be available to you? I said, well, no, it'll be available to me. I mean, it's got to go back to it and recertify. It's like, well, is this opportunity here in front of you? Is this a once in a lifetime opportunity or is this something that's going to be available again in the future? And I said, no, this is probably the only time it's going to be available to me. And he said, well, do you want this once in a lifetime opportunity or do you want to stick with an opportunity that'll be available later on down the road as well? That's a pretty seminal moment, right? I gave my two weeks notice. I drove, yeah, yeah. I drove from Brooklyn, New York to Los Angeles, California. And six months later, we, uh, we got signed. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, change happened very quickly for us in, mm -hmm. in, you know, the first part of our lives while people were still trying to figure out what their major was or who was going to be in college. We were already like on our second career path and, you know, going in completely different directions. So, which is, which, I mean, we know is not the norm, Yeah, you know, but I, one of the things that I always like to tell people is I believe that we are together today still in a strong marriage and a strong relationship and best friends, right, Drew? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Is because, I don't, and I don't know how we knew this. I don't know if it came from supportive families and already that established supportive relationship at that young age because we allowed ourselves to have our own paths. Like we, we didn't really ever get to the like, well, what do you, I could have very easily, what do you mean you're leaving? Right? Well, then the relationship's over. And so I think that because we have always supported each other's dreams, that's why we're together. And it's not, it was not easy. <laughs> it was not easy as a 20 something, right? With a, with your boyfriend in this huge boy band. Um, but I think we just were able, luckily, to look at each other and still see each other and know, you know, that we were going to be there for each other. Well, the good news is you'd called him out a couple times already in sixth grade, right? You dumped him twice. So you, he knew he was on notice. Exactly. I mean, I feel like I had the upper hand, right? <laughs> he was on notice. So he knew he had to kind of figure this thing out, right? I mean. She's going to dump me again. <laughs> yeah, screw up. She'll dump me. I was on crutches and she dumped me the second time. I mean, that, how, how brutal is that? I'm hobbling around. I got Sorry. a foam knee. I do feel she bad. She dumped me. Well, and it turned out that the irony is that she's been your crutch ever since. So anyways. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that was one of the things I wanted to ask before we kind of get into kind of the evolution of the story and the journey was, you know, relationships are really, really difficult. And you all had such different paths there. To your point, I think you already answered the question on supporting each other's dreams. but where did that come from, from this place of not a lot of folks, especially in today's generation, like, like where they're getting so much from the, from the world that's coming at them with all kinds of identity messages, to have the kind of 
trust and confidence that you could be with someone that saw you for who you were, even if they were in LA and you were in New York? Like, where, where did that kind of come from? Did you guys just know that? And, or I'm sure, were, were there those kind of roller coaster moments like every couple has that maybe it was different then than it is today? No, I think we definitely had roller coaster moments. I mean, there was one time, like, we first got signed and I moved oh, back. Yeah. I moved from LA back to New York and uh, we were staying in this dumpy little hotel outside. Of, it was right outside of Lincoln center. And I was literally staying in this little park and I was calling her on a payphone, And I said, I don't think, I don't think we can do this. Like we, I just Motown, we just got signed to Motown. I just moved back to New York from LA. She had just moved out to LA, you know? So we were like kept ping pong in different ends of the coast, but we weren't ever at the same spot. And, um, you know, I was like, I think we, I think we need to just call it quits. Um, which was also part of the times too, right? Yeah. Management at that time, they push for, you know, you can market. You shouldn't have a girlfriend guy. Yeah. And I was the baby of the group too. So it was like, I was like 20 years old. Um, you know, and so, you know, I was like, all right, we, we need to, we need to just end this. And that lasted for a whole 12 hours Um, because the next morning called her up and I said, forget everything I said last night where that's not what I want, you know? Um, So, I mean, yeah, there were definitely little, little bumps in the road, um, you know, things like that. And, but I, I feel like for the most part, it was, she was able to chase her dreams. I was able to chase my dreams and we were able to still just kind of be, each other's number one fan through it all. Um, and I don't know if that was just kind of a, yeah. a security that we had. I mean, her, her parents were divorced. My parents were divorced. We both have both come from, you know, those kind of homes. And it was, so for us, it was just kind of a testament to mm-hmm. how I think the relationship we yeah. started in, in high school, mm-hmm. um, that we were like, all right, I'm not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. We got this. We can do this. Um, and then I think that I think the other level to all of that too is that when that whirlwind was happening, which was you know it's a wild ride it, in early twenties, yeah, all over the world and magazines and tabloids and and that was you know even before phones and the, that whole Instagram and social media. Um, our families, both of our families. Um, they are real people. So when we would come home, I mean, there was, it was no nonsense, right? It was like, we don't care really. Like, like we love you for you, but like go do, do the dishes. Yeah. (laughs) Like take the trash out. Right. So I think that that always centered us. I think it still does. Yeah. I think being from Ohio, um, you know, it it definitely gives you a, a different perspective on, you know, work and what like a, a, a normal quote unquote life is, um, you know, and, and, you know, as far as like 98 degrees goes, we always kind of pride ourselves in being like, as weird as this is to say, like the blue collar boy band, like we would outwork people, we would grind, we wouldn't take no for an answer. We would just, you know, if any shortcomings we had, as far as talent or skills or opportunities, we would make up for by outworking anybody. Um, and I feel like that's kind of just something that we both have, um, yeah. that we got from growing up in, you know, the Midwest and Cincinnati, um, while it has its fortune 500 companies and, and, you know, very affluent people as well. It, it has still kind of a, just a blue collar feel to it. Um, you know, so I think that, you know, you can't really escape who you are, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, how you were raised. So true. Um, well, it's part of your, it's part of your core, right? It's part of your core. And, for good, yeah, or for, yeah. for good or for bad, but I think we try to take those things with us that are good. And I want to get into some of where we're going next. What I heard you say, though, and I want to summarize is, I mean, you guys quickly became each other's person. And though it was helpful that, yeah, my, yeah, I could say my girlfriend's, uh, she's a rockette. And you said, well, my boyfriend's in 98 degrees. So uh-huh. you, you both had a, you know, a level of yeah. success in your own right, but you allowed each other to be, have, have your own individuality. And you supported that dream for the other person. I think that's the key in just about any marriage or any relationship, right? Is to see the other person for who they really are, love them for who they are, and support those dreams that way. And that seems like that's been a secret to your success, relationally. No, absolutely. Yeah, I I mean, I I think, 
you might she might have actually been on MTV before I was. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know. What? It was right, well, but it was like, yeah, she was in. That. She like danced like in a Missy Elliott video, and and like so, I like she was. She might have. She might have beat me to it. So it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't mm-hmm. like. Take that. It wasn't like, oh, somebody, oh, there's just like riding along yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of in yeah. the shadow off to the side. It's like, no, she's dominant at what she does as well. Um, and and I think that's kind of like you have respect for somebody that's at the top of their craft and and you appreciate that skill set. So I, I feel like there's, you know, there's a respect that was always there. Um, I mean, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, too, that. You know, I know everyone hears, oh, she choreographed for 90 degrees and she did all these tours. And and everyone always says, well, I mean, obviously, right? Obviously. But it didn't really go that way. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> I was reading the book, The Artist's Way. And, you know, I guess I was just really bold. And I was doing the exercises in the book. If you're If you're familiar with the book, it really pushes you artistically to kind of think outside of the box. And... I had always loved choreography and I knew that that's the direction I wanted to move in. Um, And so I, I can't believe I did this. I called up their manager, just called him on the phone. I said, I would, I would really like a meeting and I would like to prove to you that I could choreograph some of their numbers. Well, and I, and I always think, God, I wonder what he like really thought. Right. So I go into this, office in midtown Manhattan. And I have this meeting and he said, okay, I'm going to give you three numbers and or songs, and we're going to see how it goes. And so one of those just happened to be because of you, which was a single, a huge single, the one where they're on top of the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, and the record company loved the work and they said, oh my God, this is, this is so creative. Um, and so then I just kept building, kept building, kept building. And so that, you know, I mean, that's the story. It really had nothing to do with the guys, which, you know, I was dating Drew and obviously the other guys are like family and brothers and, but no, they supported it after the fact, but it wasn't like, Oh, Leah, come on. So I think, I think, I think we were bold. I think we supported each other. I think we have always kind of, um, taken giant leaps, you know, even if it's, frightening or scary, I think, right? We're a little like like we we think through it, but then we're also like, let's go for it. And I think our whole life is kind of like <laughs> And she she's also more of like the big idea, like dreamer, but with hard work, um, kind of personality. And I am much more of the pragmatic, like small, like she's she's macro and I'm micro. You know, so I think feel like we we can kind of um, no, but I mean, I I get what you're saying, but I feel like we kind of support each other in that in that way too. Like, well, let's 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 take that then. Let's jump off there and let's go into so the evolution of all that. And we could go, we we could do six episodes on you know the season you guys ran, experiences, and let's juxtapose what it would have looked like if we had social media at the way it is today back then. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. You guys probably would not even still be together, but that's here no, or there. Uh, I can't imagine. But let's go. Let's let's fast forward a little bit because just in the interest of time, I want to spend some time on somehow you all evolved into ca- taking your gifts and your strengths and realizing that you wanted to do something even more impactful for the world, for others. And, and I think you started Lachey Arts with that in mind, right? You wanted to have a nonprofit that could, could do something different and something really purposeful. Tell me a little bit about the beginning of Lachey Arts, the vision and mission behind it. And then I want to jump off from there into where you're going with this amazing project called Labelist. So give us a little background on Lachey Arts. Well, I mean, that just began with a simple dream. We were still in Los Angeles at the time, and we had always kind of toyed with the idea of, uh, giving back, uh, where do we fit in? Cincinnati always felt right uh, to to start that journey. And so we had discussed doing a camp for years before on our back patio in, in LA, uh, for years before we even moved back. And then one thing led to another. Um, we had Isabella, our daughter. She was three at the time, and I was newly pregnant with our son, Hudson. Um, and it was kind of one of those moments where it was like, if we're going to move and we're ever going to raise our kids around our family, um, we would do it now. And so we did take another giant leap 
Um, that was not an easy decision for us to leave Los Angeles. Um, but I do think that deep down without knowing it, we were searching for more. We wanted more. So the shows and TV and the tours and all that is exciting and great. And then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, but what is, what is our purpose? Uh, what are we trying to do here? And so we moved back and what started as just a simple, simple, uh, going into performing arts and teaching a couple classes a week, then led to every day and then led to bigger camps. And so the camp was two weeks every summer. And then we uh, led the musical theater program at performing arts. Um, never, ever, and you can jump in wherever, but never, ever did I think uh, that it would grow to the size that it is Um I really did just think this is just going to be fun to give back. And what I realized in giving back was we got so much more out of it than just like the classes and teach, you know, teaching them steps. All of a sudden we slowly year by year have built this amazing artistic community um, of young performers, which are now 26, 27 years old. Um, and it has truly changed our lives. Truly. Um, and then right before, I guess this was 2020. So before the, the pandemic, um, we finally moved into our own studio space. And so it's been unreal, the growth of Lachey Arts. Um, and without Lachey Arts, we would not have Labelist, which is this yeah, uh, I, I project. Think, yeah, we didn't, we didn't start off and be like, all right, we're going to create this nonprofit that's going to do this and this and this we basically said, all right, we have this knowledge. Like we've, we didn't, neither of us graduated from college. Neither of us, you know, did, you know, studied mm -hmm. nonprofits or arts administration or any of that. We just said, we have skills, you know, we have skills that we've honed over the last 20 years and we want to share it with people the same way that our teachers shared it with us when we were in yeah. school. Um, so when we moved back to Cincinnati, we talked to the artistic director and was like, this, this is what we have in mind. And he was like, all right, come and teach a couple of classes. And it just, it really did just kind of snowball from there, um, you know, where it felt right. It felt like this was what we were supposed to be doing to the point where it was like, oh, everything else we did in our lives wasn't, that wasn't the destination. Mm -hmm. that, that, that was just part of the journey that got us to where we are now, because even this isn't the destination, but this is something that we are passionate about that we feel fulfilled by that we feel like we are really bringing about change and we are helping these young people follow their dreams and and you know helping bit by bit to try and make their lives a little bit better so um it wasn't like we had some grand plan um to to set out and change the world i mean i'm i'm a narcissist but even i'm not that you know self-absorbed <laughs> um you know so i i think for for us it was just kind of seeing the opportunity and seeing what felt right to us in each moment. Right. And then making a choice that then, Oh, does it feel better to, I want to be with these kids five days a week. So we went to five days a week. All right. We want to expand the camp to bigger. So we expanded the camp bigger. It wasn't ever this yeah. grandiose pie in the sky dream. It was just step by step. It grew. So tell the story then, um, when was the epiphany that really ended up launching? So the, the spark that launched Labelist, tell us a little bit of that story and how that evolved. And all of a sudden you had this kind of moment where you two were like, okay, this I think has got legs. This is no pun intended. Um, wh where is this? That was a rocket reference if you weren't paying attention. Yeah. I love it. I love it. <laughs> this, is, this has got something that has per our purpose written all over it. Give us a little bit of that back journey and then let's dive in and talk a little bit about what Labelist is and where you, where you see it going. Yeah, so part of what, Lachey Arts, you know, what we were doing was when we were teaching at, at the School for Career Performing Arts, we would do acting exercises and we would do different things where you're trying, um, you know, encourage people to feel different parts of empathy and em empathy, empathy and compassion and versus sympathy. And, and so trying to get people to unlock what the differences were as, as actors, you know, like how can you put yourself in someone else's shoes? So we had this exercise where it was all right, everybody just anonymously take down a scrap of paper and, and feel right down a way that you felt like you have been discriminated against in your life. 
because we it's everybody's for everybody it's different. Um, and they wrote down these scraps of paper. Some of them were like two words, some of them were paragraphs. Um, and we went home that night after class, just any other night, we spread them out on our kitchen counter and we we sat there and we we cried um to to read their their ways that they felt like they have aren't seen and they've been discriminated against. And it was literally everything from the obvious ones of racism and sexism, but then people homophobia and bullying. And it just kind of was all these stories um, that made us made us kind of heartbroken that these kids were still going through these things that, you know, in your brain, you're like, oh, civil rights happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, the world is much more accepting towards the gay community now. Like you, you kind of have these ideas in your brain that you're not able to really kind of see the truth. Yeah. And having these pieces of paper in, in front of us allowed us to see that these 14, 15, 16, 17 year olds were still going through the same struggles that people were going through 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. Um, so from there, that's where Leah had the idea to create a show about it. Um, not necessarily did we think at that time that this show was going to be this vehicle for change, but it was a way for these kids to have an outlet to kind of speak their story, speak their truth. And that's where it's kind of started. Well, and I think then, then we were in the position of we can, we can help create a show, but without the help of the cast, especially in that, in that, you know, first phase of it, we would not have a show. So we needed to, um, and then here's where Lachey Arts comes in, where it's like we had built this community. We trusted each other. Um, we felt safe in a room together to share those stories. So therefore, this, this authentic and honest production uh, began growing from that. And I think that, you know, without the cast feeling safe um, and really going deep into some of these stories that are that are uncomfortable um we would not be where we are um so we did we did a first phase of it in in that high school setting um and it it was it was wild to watch as like producers and directors something that you know I mean we sold out within the school and the families and then we brought the into you know loaded the whole set out And then all of a sudden we started getting letters and emails and calls. And then the school notified us and said, how quickly can you get the set back up? We want to do that. We want to do three more performances. So I think at that point we started to realize, okay, we might be onto something. And then we did our our second phase was the OTR film fest sold out. Um, And from there we started to really think there, there is something here um, and yes, it's educational, but at the same time, let's really knock this out of the park. Let's use these skills that we have and bit by bit each year. I mean, it's been four and a half years now, almost five years that we've been working on this project. Um, and it's, it's insane to see it and, and watch it and go, whoa, we have created a musical like it isn't it isn't just a class exercise anymore. Um, and and hopefully it's a show that inspires, gets people to think, creates some empathy in this in this wild world of ours. Um, and we're extremely proud of the work that we've done, um, our creative team and the cast. Yeah. So it's it's um, it has become a movement. Um it's a beautiful journey to be on. And never did I think from that one, you know, simple decision of moving back to Cincinnati and then the next simple decision of teaching a class. And then the next, just like Drew said, it's evolved naturally. And I think without that natural progression, um, I don't know if it would have worked. So I think it, it happened the way it was supposed to happen. And it wasn't just like, let's sit down and write a musical. It was, it has evolved over time. Well, I love it. I love what you guys are, you know, what you're unpacking is for all of us that are listening is we all have our gifts and our strengths and our experiences, but to pursue purpose, it's purpose gets pursued one small step at a time. And then if you're open 
and you're looking, then it leads you to the next step, which leads you to the next step. And if you try to define the destination, like you said earlier, Drew, you would have never probably picked that as a destination. But if you just follow the incremental no. you know, steps, I think you get in places that you would have never believed possible. And I'm a person of faith. I believe there's some divine intervention that takes us on that journey. And I think that if you're listening, then you get to where you're supposed to be to help the people you're supposed to help um, along the path. And one of the things that I love about what you're doing with this is you guys had the the fortune of being in a world where you were exposed to lots of different people from lots of walks of life. So part of your subconscious was probably conditioned to be accepting and less judgmental than a lot of folks who've lived in one lane. And I think that to me, the, the root of judgment, the root of, of bias, the root of all these things is fear. And we fear what we don't know. And then we start to judge the things that are different than us. We talk about it a lot around here with them from a behavioral psychology lens. It's that we're oriented towards self-preservation. And when we see people that are different than us, we automatically label them, right? We label them as dangerous or as fill in the blank. We don't call it that consciously. It's all at an unconscious level. But you guys were had an experience of, of just seeing so many different people from all different walks of life with all different world perspectives that you probably got almost... I, for lack of a better term, desensitized to judgment because you're just so like, this is, this is just life. This is people and it's a melting pot. And, and I, and I love what you're trying to do with this, with label and helping folks all see that through the lens of this story and this musical and these, and these individual stories that they're going through. What's your ultimate goal with this? Do you want to see this thing go to Broadway? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think it definitely could. I mean, I think it, it the story and, and, you know, or the multiple stories, I think the, the creativity of, of the piece skill wise, talent wise could definitely go there. Um, I think even more importantly for bringing about change, um, cause there's a lot of the country that doesn't ever go to New York and wouldn't get to Broadway. Um, so I think, even more importantly for us is to get it on the road and to take it to different cities. Um, because, you know, there's a lot of people that need to see it. Um, and I, I feel like what you're saying about fear and of the unknown is, is, is kind of the impetus for a lot of these, you know, um, ways that, that we discriminate or the way that we, the prejudices that we have. And I feel like by talking about them and having conversations, I think the most powerful words that we can possibly say are explain this to me mm. and ask somebody who like, I don't understand this, explain it to me because I feel like as a, as a society, as a, as a, as a culture, we're able to, we're able to grasp the, the, the bigger concept that we're not, we're more similar than we are different. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like there's just these little things that people have in their, and their head is being, Oh, that's wrong. That's bad. This group of people thinks this way, you know? So we're trying to just literally be like, all right, don't look at that person and say that is a, a gay white man with mental health issues. All right. Just look at them as Bob, mm -hmm. get to know Bob. Don't get to know all the other stuff that you think you already know. Just like know the individual. Um, and that's kind of where the whole labelist thing came from. Like, let's get away from white, black, gay, straight, male, female, able, disabled. Get get away from all of that and just look at the person, get to know the person. Yeah, I love that. I think what happens then is these groups all want to feel safe. So they they congregate with people like them. And then they start to mm -hmm. put out the vibe of, well, if you're not like us now then you're dangerous. And all of a sudden it's, it's a self-perpetuating cycle. Isn't that crazy? Like all these different groups that have been marginalized, they group together because they, that's where they feel mm -hmm. safe. So then they then start to say, Hey, you don't get us. So then we don't, and no one's asking us, mm -hmm. no one's asking us about our story and you don't get us. So now we have all these groups that are all now in these almost factions and then, of course, don't even get me started on the, how the media just feeds into that fear narrative of pushing us all <laughs> against each other. So I love what you guys are doing with this. I yeah. think it's got, it's different. Like there's a lot of movements happening right now, but this, I read through all of it. Dan told me all about his perspective on it. And I think it's different. It feels different to me because it feels like a way to introduce a lot of these stories without it being 
like you're trying to push people's narratives in someone's face. You're just trying to bring exposure to the story of, of an individual and their yes. journey. Is that right? It's yes. 100%. Um, actually, Jeff from 98 Degrees, I think, puts it so well. He says, I, and he's seen the show three times, big supporter of Libless. Um, he said, I sit there and I listen to the stories and then I see this amazing musical number, you know, that goes right up against it. And he's like, I don't feel like you're pushing something onto me. It's I have the ability then as an audience member to sit there and really think about it, sit with it, start those conversations when I get home. And it doesn't feel like it's like, now, listen, you have to, you have to do this and you have to do that. We're just sharing the stories. Yeah, we, we basically in a lot of it, all these stories are from the cast members. Um, you know, there's stories about their struggles, with mental health st stories about uh, coming out to their parents, stories about, um, you know, classism and being judged. And, you know, so there's these are stories that are true to them. Um, yes, it's did we put them in a framework that works for the musical? Absolutely. But they are true stories. Um, and so when you listen to just a human being tell you their story and you're not listening to whether, oh, is this a, a Democrat or Republican? Is this Christian or is this non-Christian? What, what? Just listen to the human being. Yeah. Listen to the human being. Listen to what they're going through and see if it resonates with who you are as a person. And sometimes you're going to not like the way you feel a little bit, but then that's where we're able to make a choice, make a change, make a shift. Mm -hmm. um, because just because we're wired a certain way or, you know, this is the way we are raised, doesn't that's because you're raised that way doesn't mean you have to live that way. You're able as a human being to make a choice for yourself of how you want to live your life, who you want to live with, around, through. Um, and, and I feel like Labelist is a great vehicle for making those conversations accessible. Yeah. Well, we're big uh, Ted Lasso fans around here. I don't know if you guys have watched the Ted Lasso series, <laughs> yes. but you know he he quotes yeah. the you know the Walt Whitman quote: "You be curious, not judgmental." And I think mm -hmm. um, that to me is like that's the banner today. If we could just march out with a banner of if you if you could just be curious without being judgmental and ask the questions that you're asking, and realize that I don't even have to agree with what you say. I don't even have to like what you say. I just want to show right. you enough respect as another human to ask for your story. And if we can be curious about it, we'll probably learn a little bit about somebody else and a lot about ourselves on the journey, right? Yes. I was going to say, I think that's a big part of it is being, being able to openly at the same time, because you're going to laugh, you're going to cry, you're going to get up and dance. And I mean, the show isn't like this yes. heavy downer. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's hopeful. Mm -hmm. um, and so I feel like when you leave the, the theater after the show, you are going to naturally ask questions. Mm -hmm. And and some of them are going to be like, well, why do I think this way? Oh, how how do I do this? Mm -hmm. And because I feel like most of these things like, oh, well, I know, you know, I know a person in this group. I know, I know a, a gay person. I know a black person. I know a person in a wheelchair. I know, but then it's like, but they're the outliers. You know, they're, oh, they're, those are my friends, but they're, they're, they're the outliers. They're not, no, they are just, they're probably not the exception. They are probably this person's wheelchair. It, yes, they are their own individual person, but their her hopes and dreams mm -hmm. are just like yours. Mm -hmm. The the this gay man over here that you're friends with, they are not probably the outlier. Probably the majority of the community. If you got to know them, you would feel the same way about. So it's it's just getting people to realize that fear based. Mm -hmm. uh, preconceived judgments um, are, are really not the way to live a healthy, productive life. That's, that's kind of what we're getting at. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a great way to, to bring the plane in for the landing here. So where can everyone go to learn more about your work at Lachey Arts and in, in, in particular Labelless and what's going on, how they can support it, um, both potentially to go see a show somewhere, but then I know obviously we want to see if we can help support the thing financially and see if we can get this thing moving. Uh, what can we do? Where can we go? Yeah. So um, uh, like everything else, we have social media. <laughs> um, 
you know, so we have Lachey Arts on Instagram at Lachey Arts. We also have at Labelist Musical. Uh, those are our, our Instagram handles. And then we also have Lachey Arts and it's L-A-C-H-E-Y-A-R-T-S dot com and LabelistMusical.com as well. Um, but as far as shows go, we are doing a run of shows at the Cincinnati Playhouse in the Park starting July 8th through the 16th. Um, for us, it is a dream come true. The Playhouse has won multiple Tonys. Uh, so for us to be able to put our work there um, and to have, you know, the, the blessing of the Playhouse um, to, to be there and to do our show there is, is a, a, a huge thrill for us. And our cast is over the moon about it as well. So, um, you know, we have our, our cast. We're starting rehearsals uh, coming up yeah, very soon. And then obviously uh, shows starting July 8th through the 16th. And then hopefully uh, some some tour dates. Uh, for the end of July as well. So uh, lots of information, but everything is mostly on Instagram. Uh, that's where we get all of our, our updates because, you know, all these young people, they they that's like where they, they go. They like people. the Instagram. They, they go do. to the gram. Um, so you're not you even calling the right TikTok. name. <laughs> and the TikTok. The gram. Yeah. Not not the Facebook anymore. No. Um, no. Yeah. We're, 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 trying to, we're trying to stay current. Well, it's awesome to me to see. So those will all be in the show notes. Those will be in the show notes, all those links. If you're listening, go to the show notes. If, you, if you're not writing it down, go to the links, go to the social media, follow these two and what they're doing. And as I pull this thing back full, full circle, I love the symmetry of a little girl from the West Side getting a scholarship to go to performance arts that would one day lead to her helping her husband, who also from a blue collar background got into performance arts find that all the success in the world is fleeting if you can't come back and, and add value to somebody else. And now your purpose and your mission in life is to take all of your success and channel it in a way that changes the lives of these kids in our local community and hopefully youth and not just youth, but all of us around the world. So thank you for the work you're doing, the change you're driving. Um, it was an honor to have you on and I'd love to have you guys back on maybe in the fall and let's talk about where we're at, like where things are going and how we can continue to help uh, support you guys and promote you. Absolutely. Thanks, Thank you so much. You bet. Good luck. Thank Thanks. you. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out. out.